So we're now in February, midway through, and many of you who had New Year's resolutions might be going strong. Many of you may have fallen off the wagon. Uh, some of you may have gone out and gotten gym memberships to be healthier physically. And if you have spent any time in a gym, you have witnessed the famous scene of someone using a machine wrong. And you have maybe chuckled under your breath, and maybe you've been tempted to pull out your phone to get a nice video of this, as you've seen some online, I'm sure. Maybe you unknowingly have been that person. So if this has never happened to you, then perhaps you are that person. But hopefully, rather than trying to capture it on video, you or somebody else are willing to lovingly go over to that individual and help that person see how to properly use that machine. Now, that's a loving act to help them understand the proper use of that machine. And in the text that we're in, we're seeing Paul writing to the Corinthians, helping them to lovingly see the proper use of spiritual gifts, in particular, tongues and prophecy. Because love, as Ben so helpfully pointed out last week, love drives our use of the gifts. In chapter 12, we saw Paul talking about the gifts. In chapter 13, Paul is saying, hey, but love drives all this. Love is greater. Let love be the driver for your use of the gifts. And now in 14, we see Paul addressing two of the gifts that had been abused, tongues and prophecy. And what we see is that love, yes, drives the use of our gifts, but it doesn't just stop there. It's not enough just to use the gifts. Rather, Christian love promotes the proper use of spiritual gifts. That's what Paul's trying to drive at here. Christian love drives the proper use of spiritual gifts. It promotes the proper use of the gifts. And so as we've said in this book of 1 Corinthians, which we've just been marching through section by section, the overall theme of the book is unity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul wants these Corinthians to be unified. So each part of the book, he's addressing an issue. And we're not going to go through all of them, but in chapters 11 through 14, he's addressing some issues that were taking place in corporate worship. When the church gathered together to worship Jesus, they, they were doing some things that Paul said, hey, you need to adjust this. So we've already covered some of them, but in chapter 11, they were blurring gender distinctions, authority and headship, and submission. All good things. And as they were blurring those things, God's glory was being blurred. And then in the second half of chapter 11, we see that they were having some issues with the Lord's Supper, where the, the wealthy were just eating together and eating fine, really big meals, and the poor were going with next to nothing. And Paul said, the Lord's Supper is meant to make many one. There shouldn't be divisions among you when you participate. And then in verse 13, or chapter 13, excuse me, or excuse me, chapter 12, we talked about how he lays out these various spiritual gifts, not an all-encompassing list, but he just points out that they're to build up the whole body. Chapter 13 is him saying love drives that. And in chapter 14, we come to two of them that were being abused, which we've already said, that prophecy and tongues. And so the Corinthians, here's what you need to know about them, is that they were all about using spiritual gifts. So they, they were for it. But they were for it insofar as it built themselves up. They weren't for building up the body, or at least they weren't terribly concerned about it, which is why Paul is addressing this. Which led them to begin using some of the more public gifts, some of the more uh, prominent gifts, the, the speaking gifts that would bring attention to themselves, and they were using them improperly. And so Paul uses 
that word speaking, so the original word there for speaking, is used in these 25 verses that we're going to look at, is used 17 times, more than any other word. So these Corinthians wanted to use the gifts that shine the light on them. And so many of them chose to use tongues. And there was no interpreter, as we'll see, Lord willing, next week when we look at the last 15 or 16 verses of this chapter. So, what would happen is that as they were all coming together, and many of them were choosing tongues, the worship gathering seemed like a very chaotic experience. And Paul is trying to let them know, hey, God is not a God of confusion, but he's a God of peace. Your gathering should have some order to them. And he says some, what I think are funny things about what people will think when they come into their gathering. So we are looking at 1 Corinthians, and we're in the uh, chapter 14, and that's in, we're going to be looking at the first 25 verses. So if you're using one of the blue provided Bibles nearby, that's going to be on page 960. Page 960, and the, the big number that you will see on that page, that's the chapter. The little numbers are the verses. Those will help you follow along as we talk through this text. If you're flipping in your Bible, you'll want to go about three-fourths of the way through. You'll find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. And so that's where we are, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And we're looking at the first 25 verses today. So starting in verse 1, we read this. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. 
I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people, and even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help me to proclaim it clearly and faithfully. Help us to be edified by it. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So on the back, or not the back of your bulletin, but in your bulletin, you will find an outline. And we, the way that we've broken up this text is threefold. So you'll see three blanks there. The first one is Paul addressing the priorities that we need to be aware of when it comes to the gifts. The second one, verses 13 through 19, is the parameters. And the third one, and because I'm a good Baptist, it does start with a P, is the purpose. So we see priorities, parameters, and purpose when it comes to these gifts. Let's look at that first one in the first 12 verses there, the priorities. So Paul, in verse 1, inspired by the Holy Spirit, provides for us priorities in relation to the spiritual gifts. And if you look at that, he, he just lays it out there. In verse 1, pursue love. There's priority number one. Pursue love. Love needs to drive all of this. If you do any of these gifts without love, then you're just a noisy gong. You're just not doing anything effective. You're just trying to build up yourself. So he says, pursue love. And then, number two, he says, desire the spiritual gifts. So these things aren't to be suppressed. They're to be desired. And then third, he says, especially that you may prophesy. Now, there are a few sections in 1 Corinthians that are particularly debatable. This is one of them. So on the front end, I'm going to go ahead and give you the definitions that I'm going to be working with when it comes to prophecy and when it comes to tongues, just so we can all be on the same page. And Christians have disagreed on these things, and there's been nuance, and they've still been able to have fellowship together. So if you disagree with the way that I've laid these out, that's all right. There's a line where it may not be all right, and we'll get there later in the sermon. But here's my understanding, the definitions that I'm working with when we're talking about prophesying and we're talking about tongues. So, in terms of prophesying, this is spirit-prompted speaking of God's words in an instructive way. So spirit-prompted speaking of God's words in an instructive way. And you can see this in, in verse 19. Paul is contrasting tongues and prophesying. And he says, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So the mind, he's referring to prophesying. Saying, I'd rather speak five words that instruct than 10,000 words people can't understand. And we'll, we'll get to that verse. So it's not foretelling 
the future, but it's bringing God's words forth. It's forth-telling rather than for-telling, if that makes sense. And then when it comes to tongues, this is speaking of God's saving works in an earthly language unknown to the speaker. So speaking of God's saving works in an earthly language unknown to the speaker. And we get this from, chapter, excuse me, from verses 10 and 11. He says, There are doubtless many different languages in the world. And none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So it seems that Paul is referring to earthly languages here. That, that word that's used there, glosa, that's, that just is, almost every time is used for either a literal tongue, I'm talking about someone's literal tongue, like James talks about uh, the devastation that a tongue can bring, or it's talking about a language, or it's talking about a people group, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. Now, the, the question that arises is, well, what about chapter 13, verse 1? So turn there, just, just the page back. Paul says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. So is that implying that there are, are two types of tongues here? The tongues of men, earthly languages, and the tongues of angels? So I don't think so. It's not necessarily excluding the possibility that there could be some type of angelic language. But that's not what Paul's getting at when he's uh, bringing that up in that section. He's more so using hyperbolic language to make his point. So look at that closely. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. He's saying you can speak in all the tongues of men. Heck, even if you spoke in the tongues of angels, if you don't have love then you're a noisy gong. And he continues that hyperbolic language as you look at verse 2 in 13. He says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So again, the hyperbolic language. And then he does it again in verse 3. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul I don't think Paul's saying you can speak in earthly languages and you can speak in angelic language. I think he's using hyperbolic language to make his point about how if you lack love, then the use of the gifts is meaningless. Now, what about verse 2 in chapter 14? So we just read verse 1 where Paul lays out those priorities. What about verse 2 where we read, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him. But he utters mysteries in the spirit. So, Rob, no one understands him. So, could this possibly not be in earthly language? Well, Acts 2 helps us here. Because this is, Acts 2 is the clearest explanation, the clearest example of tongues used correctly. So, turn with me, if you would, to Acts 2. And if you're using one of the Blue Provided Bibles, that's on page 909. Acts 2. We're going to start in verse 4, and we're going to read through verse 6. So we see how the apostles were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So, in Acts 2, we see this setting where there are those, there are men who are understanding 
the language that was spoken. They were hearing the God's saving works in their own language. In 1 Corinthians 14, where we are today, the setting is different. There's no one there who understands what's being said in his own language. So it's essentially, as verse 2 is saying, the speaker just speaking to God. So I don't think verse 2 is evidence of some form of angelic language. I think it's essentially just saying, hey, there's nobody here who understands. So if you just speak this tongue in another language, it's basically just you talking to God. It'd be like somebody coming up here and just speaking Mandarin for the whole time. God knows what that person's saying, but the majority, if not all of us, are not going to understand what is being said. And so this, Paul says, if we go back to 1 Corinthians 14, is in stark contrast to prophecy, to prophesying. So look at verse 3. Paul points out that on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people. They can understand him. That's what Paul's getting at. What's happening with you, Corinthians, is you're all speaking in tongue. Nobody understands. It's basically you guys just speaking to God. But if you prophesy, speak God's words to others in an instructive way, they do understand. And what ends up happening are three things. It says it leads to their upbuilding. See this in verse 3. To their encouragement and their consolation. So when people understand the words of God, what happens is they are built up, they are encouraged, and they are comforted. Praise God for that. Let's do all we can here at Citizens Church to help one another understand what God's words say. Let's be built up. Let's be encouraged. Let's be comforted. But rather than building up the church, the Corinthians are more preoccupied, preoccupied with building up themselves. And so Paul tells them in verse 4 that the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so Paul is laying another priority here. So the first one is to pursue love first and foremost. Then he says desire the gifts. But then he says here that prophesying is to be prioritized over speaking in tongues because prophesying builds up the church. It builds up others. So if there's not an interpreter to interpret what the person with the tongue is saying, then nobody else can understand. And so therefore, pursue prophesying. Now, in verses 6 through 9, Paul illustrates this point. We'll go quickly through this. But he's, he's talking about instruments. And he says that we're able to know what's being played because we can recognize the notes. So Danielle and I went out to, to dinner last night. And if we would have heard the happy birthday song, we would have thought, oh, okay, we know what's going on. People are coming out and singing happy birthday to an individual. But if we would have heard a fire alarm, it would have been different notes, and we would have acted differently. So when we hear certain notes, it moves us to some form of emotion or some form of action. And Paul is saying it's helpful to understand what you hear. So not knowing what the sound means, if they're speaking in tongues, does nothing for the body. They don't know what's going on. Then in verses 10 through 12, Paul summarizes. He says, yes, we've already read this verse, these two verses, but he says, yes, there are many languages out there. Yeah, there are. They all have a meaning. But if we don't know the meaning, then it's not helpful. So, therefore, do what is helpful for the body. This is loving. He says, pursue love. This is loving to help the body understand what is being said. So the way we pursue love when exercising spiritual gifts is by seeking to build up the church body, not ourselves. Which means we're to share God's word in an understandable way. We're to do that 
here from, from up front, we're doing that with one another in our interactions. We have community groups throughout the week. We want to help people understand God's word. So we're to, to share God's words in an understandable way. And so Christian, if you're thinking about what, what does this have to do with me, we would encourage you to prioritize the body of Christ above yourself. Invest in other Christians to help them understand. As you invest in them, that strengthens the body. Grab coffee. Get lunch. Set up a time for breakfast. Set up a monthly discipleship meeting. Just get together over lunch or over coffee or in the evening for dinner. Just, just say, hey, I just want to go through something intentional and I want to be built up in the faith. I want to help you do that. I want you to help me with that. Set it up with somebody. We're not meant to, to walk alone in our discipleship. Learn together. Confess sin to one another. Pray together. And look, this, this kind of, these kind of relationships only happen when we prior, prioritizing others above ourselves only truly happens, as Ben pointed out last week, is when we have an understanding of the gospel as displayed in Christ. He went to great lengths so that we may understand God clearly. He gave, God gave his son so that our penalty could be taken away. He gave his son to bear the penalty that we deserved so that rather than being destroyed by our sin, we can be built up in Christ. He gave his son for that purpose, to glorify himself in doing that, restoring his people to himself. So let's strive to help one another understand what God's word says. So so now that we see the priorities of pursuing love, desiring the gifts, prioritizing prophesying over tongues because that helps people understand. And now we see those. We see the parameters. So look in verse 13. So after stating his case in verses 1 through 12, Paul then says, therefore. So you see that therefore, you just understand like, okay, now Paul is, is transitioning here. He's trying to give some application. So he's leading them toward that. He says, therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So this implies that the person who was speaking in a tongue didn't know what he was saying. So, he should ask God for that interpretation. Why? Because God doesn't want our spirit and our mind to be detached in worship. And Paul makes this clear in verse 14 and 15. Look there. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what am I to do? So he's implying this is not what we want to do. We don't want our minds to be unfruitful. So what am I to do, he says? I'll pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. So he's saying in verse 14, the mind is detached from the spirit in worship. And that's not a good thing. And so then in verse 15, he lays out that rather, our mind and our spirit are to be united in worship, not separate. And so, for those who who had a tongue, they need to go through this kind of filter. One, do you have the interpretation? Has the Lord given you the interpretation? And if so, then share that interpretation in a language that everyone can understand. So that way they can be built up. But if the Lord has not given you the interpretation, then therefore you should seek out an interpreter to make sure that somebody can give the interpretation. But if there's no interpreter, then what are we to do? We're to be silent. Because it's not going to benefit the body. And if we ignore this, we see in verse 16, then, then it actually hurts our evangelism. We know in, in Romans 10 that faith comes through hearing and hearing 
through the word. And so if we can't hear the word, if we can't understand what is being said, it's not going to lead to faith. If an outsider, an unbeliever, can't understand the tongues that are being spoken of, then it doesn't serve the evangelistic purpose that tongues were designed for. In seminary, Danielle and I, we befriended a friend that, is, his name's Rex. Now, that's not his, his real name. His real name is Lichuan, but he's Chinese. And one of the things that he shared with us was that Chinese movies are very different than American movies. So that American movies have a happy ending most of the time. Because like, you guys have some Christianity baked into your culture. So Chinese movies don't have that. And so he had us watch a couple of Chinese movies. And he's, he's very right. <laughs> At least the two examples that he gave us were kind of sad and did not have great resolution. But here's the thing. Each of those Chinese movies were in Chinese. We had no idea what was being said. However, a beautiful gift is the gift of subtitles. So we had subtitles to better understand what was being said. And in addition to that, he was there to help us understand some of the cultural references that were going on in the movie. And so because of those things, we were actually able to understand what was going on. But without them, we would have no idea. We have no idea there's a sad ending. We might be able to pick up on a couple hints here and there based off facial gestures, things like that, but we just wouldn't have understood. So to have an interpreter, whether that's in the church with the tongue, or that's watching a Chinese movie with subtitles, we need that to understand what is going on. And, the, and Christians are built up by hearing God's words. And people come to faith by hearing the word. We need to understand what is being said. Now, all that talk, there needs to be a clarification that Paul is in fact not condemning the use of tongues. Look at verse 18. He speaks in tongues more than all of them. So he's not saying, don't ever speak in tongues. He's trying to help them understand the right use of it. So rather than elevating, uh, rather than saying don't use the tongues, he's elevating the importance of instructing one another in a way that's understandable. He says in verse 19, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Five Versus 10,000. Really? That chasm's huge. But Paul says, look, it's better to understand five words than to speak 10,000 where no one can understand. And so the parameter for tongues is this. If there's no one to interpret them, they should not be utilized. If there's no one to give the interpretation, there's no one who can understand what is being said, then they are not to be utilized. And so, brothers and sisters, use your gifts, whatever they are, to build up others, for the upbuilding of others. And if necessary, exercise self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. So we should be pursuing that. So if your use of a gift, be it tongues or anything else, if your use of the gifts, whatever gift that is, does not lead to the upbuilding of others, then it would be better for you to exercise self-control and refrain from using that gift, at least for that time. That's how we pursue love in the use of the gifts. And look, apart from Christ exercising self-control himself and exercising devotion to his people, we would never have even known this great salvation that we're coming together to rejoice in. He exercised self-control better than anyone. He was tempted. And yet he did not give in. Self-control is a good thing. The gifts are a good thing. 
However, God has prescribed parameters to help us know when to use each. So with that in mind, let's look at the purpose of these gifts. Moving into verses 20 through 25. So Paul does not want them to be children or to be infants in their understanding of tongues. He says, don't be, don't be children in your thinking. He says, if you're going to be infants in anything, be infants in evil. However, when it comes to understanding of these gifts, you should be mature. And then he quotes the prophet Isaiah, who, ironically, Isaiah prophesied about tongues, which there's some irony there. But he says in verse 21, In the law it is written, By people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, now this is a quote from Isaiah 28. Okay, and it's, it's interesting that Paul would just put this right here in the middle of chapter 14. Why, why would he do that? Because what's happening in Isaiah 28 is these strange tongues are the Assyrians. And God is using them to bring judgment upon Israel who have departed from God. And so these strange tongues that were unable to be understood by the Israelites are a sign of God's judgment on his people. It's a sign that there needed to be repentance. Thus, strange or uninterpreted tongues is a sign for unbelievers, those who need to be brought back to God, those who need to repent. We see that in verse 22. Paul says it very plainly. He says that tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. And Matthew Henry has thought really well on this. Uh, he, had, he has a very long quote that I've shortened here, but he's thought very well on this. And he says this. He says, tongues were a spiritual gift intended for the conviction and conversion of unbelievers that they might be brought into the Christian church. The gift of tongues was necessary to spread Christianity and gather churches. It was proper and intended to convince unbelievers of that doctrine which Christians had already embraced. So tongues, their purpose is an evangelistic gift to bring the gospel to those who otherwise wouldn't hear it because of a language barrier. So God equips people with the ability to speak of his saving works to people who otherwise wouldn't hear it so that they may come to faith. But, as we've read here, the Corinthians were not using it that way. They were using it to showcase their own spirituality. So Paul tells them what we're all kind of thinking this part I, I appreciate with Paul. He says, look, if the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, basically they're, they're going to think you guys have lost your minds. They're going to think you're crazy. Nobody's going to understand what's going on. And they're going to think that this is just a very strange, ecstatic type of worshiping of some type of pagan god. But, if everyone prophesies, if everyone shares God's word in an instructive way, then the unbeliever may be convicted of sin and repent. Matthew Henry continuing on here. He says, So that gifts might be rightly used, it is proper to know the ends which they are intended to serve. To go about the conversion of unbelievers, as the apostles did, would have been a vain undertaking without the gift of tongues and the discovery of this gift. But in an assembly of Christians already converted to the Christian faith, to make use of tongues would be perfectly irrelevant. 
because it would be of no advantage to the assembly. Not for conviction of truth, because they had already embraced it, and not for their edification, because they did not understand what was being said. So he's saying that these tongues, their purpose is evangelistic. So that the gospel message who otherwise wouldn't, would, that otherwise wouldn't get to a group of people because of a language barrier can now get there. God supernaturally equips his people to speak a language that they had not learned so that these people over here who have not yet received the gospel could do so. Tongues are used evangelistically to overcome those language barriers with unbelievers. Prophesying, on the other hand, their, its purpose is used to build up believers in the faith, those who have already received the gospel. So as Paul said in verse 1, let's desire that we may prophesy, that we may be able to share God's words in an instructive way, in an understandable way with one another to build up the body. God has spoken, and he's spoken in his word. And so let's exhort one another with it. And if you're here and, and you're not a Christian, you've you, Potentially, likely, maybe not, but likely, you've heard of tongues. Okay? And you've heard probably a little bit of this passage without even realizing that maybe it was 1 Corinthians 14. So the topic of tongues and prophesying is a debatable matter even within Christianity. So we can have, dis- we can have disagreements and debates about the nuances of these things. Some think that it is ecstatic utterances when it comes to tongues. Some think that it is foretelling and not forthtelling. These are debatable nuances. And we even have disagreements here within this church body. However, there is a line to where the debate becomes now a matter of spiritual life and death. So if you have ever heard anybody say that you must speak in tongues in order to be a Christian, run from that. That's not Christianity. That's adding to the gospel. We are saved, not by the spiritual gifts that we have. Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians 12, that not everybody has the same gift. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Not those things plus the gifts. We add nothing to our salvation. That's why it's good news, because we've been separated from God, and yet he provides a way for us to be restored to him. We were called to live holy and righteous lives, called to be holy as he is holy, but we failed in that. We failed in that in various ways. We failed, I mean, just, just in his prayer of confession, listed ways that just we failed about just this week. We consistently fall short. But God has sent one who did not fall short. His son, Jesus Christ. So that we can be restored to him. And when we are restored to God, he puts his spirit inside of us. And he equips us with abilities and with gifts to build one another up in love. We get to wear his righteousness. And he takes our sin and our shame. Then he equips us for the work of ministry by putting his spirit inside of us and giving us the ability to exercise these gifts. But they're all for building up one another, building up the body of Christ. So that kind of love that he puts inside of us through his spirit is to drive us, not to reject what's been misused, but to use those things in their proper way. Like the misused machines at a gym. Let's not see that machine being misused and then just never use it. Because then the body misses out on being built up in some way. 
Rather, we're to pursue their proper use. Why? Because Christians love one another. And that Christian kind of love promotes the proper use of the spiritual gifts. So when the gifts are used the way they were intended to be used, it benefits the whole body. We use our gifts to build up one another, not ourselves. The Corinthians here were just trying to build up themselves. Paul says that's not, that's not the way to go. They're using the gifts wrong. It's meant to build up one another. So let's rejoice in the gifts intended use. Let's rejoice and praise God that he has put his spirit inside of us to equip us for the ministry that he has before us. Let's rejoice in his spirit who equips his people. Let's rejoice as God wills for us to rejoice. Let's understand God's word together and be built up as we encourage one another to walk faithfully in it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we do pray that we would understand it. We pray that uh, what was said would be easily understandable. Um, God, we pray that we would seek to build one another up. We thank you for your spirit that you have put inside all who have repented and believed. And God, we ask that your spirit would drive us to unity in the Lord Jesus Christ, even as we consider the spiritual gifts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.